0: You're listening to the Sojourn Montrose Sermon Podcast. To get connected at Sojourn Montrose, visit our website, sojournmontrose.org. So, Egypt's Pharaoh, um, he was not only the king of the nation of Egypt, but he was also an important religious figure in Egypt. In Egypt, they believed that pharaohs were gods, or at least godlike men who intermediated between the Egyptian gods and the people. And the pharaoh worshipped a serpent goddess, and on pharaoh's crown he wore a serpent, representing this godness and his association with her as a ruler and protector of the people of Egypt. And what we should see is that it's, it's no surprise that the king who is oppressing, enslaving, and seeking to put God's people to death was a serpent king. Serpents or snakes in the Bible are often found tormenting God's people. We see this first in Genesis when a serpent lies to Adam and Eve, convincing them to eat of the fruit of the tree, of knowing good and bad. In Numbers 21, God sends serpents to attack and bite the people of Israel who had been disobedient in the wilderness. Jesus referred to a group of his opponents as a brood of vipers. Serpents in the Bible are agents of death and deception. They are symbolic of wisdom being used for evil, or at least for bad. So with all of this in mind, this imagery of serpents in mind, let's look at the text for today. Beginning in verse 1, it says, The Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. So Pharaoh believed himself to be like a God to the people of Israel, I mean to the people of Egypt, but actually especially to the people of Israel as he held them as slaves. Yet God is telling Moses that he would be like a god to Pharaoh, and Aaron would be his mouthpiece. The word continues in verses 2 through 7, saying, You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of this land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. And so Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded. Now Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 when they spoke to Pharaoh. And so as God continues, he's telling Moses and Aaron that although they are to tell Pharaoh to let the people go, that Pharaoh is not going to do it. God is going to harden Pharaoh's heart. And he's going to bring signs and wonders and great acts of judgment to Egypt in order to free his people. God's purpose, he says, is so that not only the Israelites, but also the Egyptians will know that he is the Lord. What we have coming to us in chapter 7 is a battle of the gods. The serpent king against Yahweh and the leaders of Israel. And so as the tension builds, verses 8 through 13 say this. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, When Pharaoh says to you, prove yourselves by working a miracle, then you shall say to Aaron, take your staff and cast it down before Pharaoh, that it may may become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron cast down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers, and they, the magicians of Egypt, also did the same by their secret arts. For each man cast down his staff, and they became serpents. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Still Pharaoh's heart was hardened. And he would not listen to them as the Lord said. So Moses and Aaron have heard what they are to do and they go to Pharaoh and he asks them to prove themselves with a miracle. And at this point, Pharaoh is probably thinking that this would put Moses and Aaron to shame, that they would tuck their tails and go home. But then Aaron, to the surprise of Pharaoh, comes through by performing this miracle that the Egyptian magicians could also do. A miracle involving a serpent. And the symbolism is key. Aaron turns his staff into a snake in the palace of the snake king. And then Pharaoh gathers all of his wise men and sorcerers who do the same thing. And at this point, surely Pharaoh is thinking that once the floor is covered in staffs turned into serpents, that Moses and Aaron will realize that they have no power over me that they have not impressed me at all. But then something surprising happens. Aaron's staff swallows all of the other staffs. The power of Moses and Aaron's simplest miracle has already bested the best magic that there was in Egypt. But even so, Pharaoh's heart was hardened. Even so, he still did not listen To what Moses and Aaron were telling him. And this is the second time in the text already today. And and if you've read through Exodus up to this point. You'll know that it's been mentioned before. That Pharaoh's heart will be hardened. That God promises that he's going to harden Pharaoh's heart. And this is a concept that a lot of us will will think of as a confusing hang up. It's something that stops us in our tracks. How can a good heart. God harden the heart of one of his people, one of his creation. And so we're going to have to spend some time together understanding what it means for someone's heart to be hardened and what God's role in that is. And first we need to address a pattern that's about to emerge in Exodus. This event here in our text today with the staff serpents is a precursor and a foreshadowing to a number of events that are coming. And the first thing that it is that is preparing us for are the ten plagues that God is about to bring upon the people of Egypt. He's about to reveal himself in power and glory in Egypt through all of these plagues that are horrible and dreadful. And in all ten of the plagues that are to come, what we'll see is the result is Pharaoh's heart will be hard at the end of each one of them. But it isn't until the sixth plague that God is described as the one who is responsible for Pharaoh's heart being hard. In fact, before that, up to this point, even in our text today, God is never said to be the one who has hardened Pharaoh's heart. Pharaoh is looking upon the works of God and hardening his own heart. Our text today says Pharaoh's heart was hardened, which makes it sound like it it was done to Pharaoh, but in the Hebrew, the sense of the phrasing is simply that Pharaoh's heart was hard even after seeing this. Even after all of this, his heart was hard. So throughout five plagues and every interaction between Moses and Aaron and Pharaoh, God is not the one hardening Pharaoh's heart. Pharaoh is just wicked. He hears a people crying for mercy And he responds with more punishment. He sees the mighty acts of God in his very palace. He sees the plagues, and he responds with pride and unbelief. And Pharaoh is one of, if not the very most evil character, at least human character, that we come across in the Bible. He's simply a monster. He enjoys the suffering of the Israelites. He commands that all the baby boys in Israel would be thrown into a river to drown. And still, God is revealing himself to Pharaoh. Time and time again, before God finally does the work of hardening his heart for good. If anything, God is far more merciful to Pharaoh than any of us would expect him to be. Or that any of us would be to him more patient than our impulses would allow. God is not cruel to harden the heart of Pharaoh. On the contrary, he is good and just and loving. He's defending his people, Israel, and he's displaying his power to people with soft hearts through the one who has already chosen to have a hard one. But Pharaoh is not the only person in the Bible described as having a hard heart and so we can't just let ourselves off the hook with the theme of hardness of heart many people in the bible harden their own hearts and the and in the bible we see god himself hardening the hearts of many so what does that even mean what does it mean when we read that pharaoh has a hard heart or that anybody does and i think very basically a hardened heart is the bible's term to describe When somebody sees God reveal himself and responds by refusing to worship him, by refusing to acknowledge him, to see the work of God and remain unchanged. Paul in Romans chapter 1 speaks of people who have seen the power of God in the world, but who have darkened their hearts. And he says this, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, he says, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men and birds and animals and creeping things like snakes. The author of Hebrews speaks of hardness of heart in chapter 3 as he quotes Psalm 95, And he says, therefore, as the spirit says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. He continues, take care, brothers, lest there be any of you having an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God, but exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So hardness of heart comes from ignoring the work of God in the world. It comes from worshiping other things or people or creatures as God. It comes from being consumed with disobedience and rebellion from the ways of God. Hardness of heart is the result of scoffing at the work of God repeatedly over the course of time. God revealed himself to Pharaoh in the serpents being swallowed. And then he reveals himself in five different plagues before he hardens Pharaoh's heart. He gave the rebellious Israelites 40 years in the wilderness to stop worshiping idols and putting him to the test before refusing their entry into the promised land. Church, our God is one who is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. His hardening of hearts is not a cruel trick and it's not a power play. It's an act of justice toward those who have proven to be against him in order to use their own wickedness for the good of his people, for the proclamation of his glory. And the church, through the author of Hebrews, is warned not to harden our hearts toward the work of Christ. The scriptures are warning us that if we scoff and reject the work of God repeatedly, that our hearts may eventually, like the Israelites and like Pharaoh's, be hardened to a point of no return. So what are we to do instead? I think our first text, our first step is to go back to the text for today. Pharaoh saw that Aaron's staff turned serpent swallowed up that of all the other magicians and sorcerers and wise men in Egypt. The messengers of Yahweh, Moses and Aaron, were revealed to Pharaoh as having a God more powerful than he was. He saw this with his eyes, Pharaoh did, and he still didn't honor it. The word of God was spoken to him by Moses and Aaron, and he still didn't listen. He saw an image of the power of Egypt being swallowed up, and he did not recognize the power of Moses and Aaron's God. This is the evidence of a hard heart. When God's word and his power are being revealed to us, and it doesn't lead us to respond with reverence. I mentioned earlier that Pharaoh was a serpent king, and that serpents in the Bible represent death and deception and opposition to God and his people. I mentioned that that is most clearly revealed in the Garden of Eden, where the crafty serpent deceives our first parents, Adam and Eve. It's also made clear in that Pharaoh is a wicked enemy of God and his people, and that serpents are the symbol constantly surrounding him. And then I also mentioned that the serpents on the palace floor being swallowed up by Aaron's staff is significant foreshadowing. And here's what I mean. Aaron's staff becoming a serpent is representative of God coming into Egypt to have victory on Egyptian terms. Yahweh is showing that he can be a snake far greater than Pharaoh. Or the snake goddess that he worships. If snakes represent death and slavery and opposition to God's people, then in this miracle, Yahweh is saying that victory is coming over the woes of slavery and oppression. They will be free even if Pharaoh's heart must be turned into a rock. Later in the story of the people of Israel in Numbers 21, After God has freed them from slavery, the Israelites find themselves wandering in the wilderness. And in those days, they begin to complain about being in the wilderness. They complain about the salvation that God has given them. They doubt and insult both Moses, their leader, and Yahweh, their God. And so God sends poisonous snakes into their camp. And the snakes begin to bite all the people who are disobedient. And some of the people are even dying from the snake bites. And so Moses, as the leader of the people of Israel, goes to God and, and he, he asks him, what can I do to make these serpents go away? And God tells him, he says, make a serpent and put it on a stick in the middle of the camp and hold it up so that whoever is bitten by a snake but looks at the serpent on a stick, though they are bitten, will live and be healed. Once again snakes are the agent of death against the people of God. Once again snakes are related to the sinfulness of God's people. But once again there is a snake greater than the snake of destruction. Moses crafts the bronze serpent so that it which has victory over the venom of the snakes that are biting the people in the wilderness. The serpent on a stick is the help and source of life for a snake-bitten people. It's a snake greater than the snakes of oppression, just like Aaron's staff was in Pharaoh's palace. And in John chapter 3, Jesus references this story of the serpent on a stick, saying, No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Jesus is saying in John chapter 3 that he is going to be like the serpent on a stick in Numbers 21. On the cross, Jesus would be lifted up before the people of God, experiencing the effects of the first snake in the Garden of Eden, death and separation from the Father. But through his death and being lifted up on a stick before the people, all who look to him can be healed from the death that sin and the serpent bring. We are preserved through the wilderness and led into the promised land if only we look to our Savior on the cross. Moreover, in our text today, Aaron's staff not only has victory over the serpents, but the text says that it swallowed all the other serpents. The word swallowed is not used very often in the Bible. And there are two instances that I think are particularly significant. The first is the very next time in the Bible after Exodus 7 that we see the word swallowed used. And it's after the people of Israel have passed through the Red Sea on dry ground and Pharaoh and all of his warriors are covered up by the water. And the whole people of Israel on the other side of the sea begin singing a worship song in celebration and in it they say this. Who is like you, O God, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand, and the earth swallowed them up. Before, the serpents, which came from Pharaoh's magicians, were swallowed up by the serpent of Aaron, and now, Pharaoh, the serpent king, and all his host in his army are swallowed up in the flood waters and the murky floor of the Red Sea. Aaron's staff was a warning to Pharaoh to believe in Yahweh and let his people go, lest he be made like the serpents, swallowed up in the victory of our God. And the next example that I'll point us to, where the word swallowed is used is in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. In chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul is writing a long discourse on the beauty and importance and significance of the resurrection of Jesus. And in it, he quotes from the prophet Isaiah, saying this, that in the, resu- in the resurrection of Jesus, this has come to pass. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Church, in Jesus Christ, we have the one who has been sent by the Father into the snake pit of the created world. And he became a serpent on a stick that we could look to him for life and for healing. But he also became the staff of Aaron, swallowing up the great serpent, the devil, and the death that he brings in his glorious resurrection over death. Just like Aaron and Moses go into the palace of the serpent king, using the tactics of the serpent king in order for God to show his victory, so Jesus goes into the palace and the realm of the serpent Satan, even as he descended into the grave of his death. But now... Through his resurrection, the oppression and slavery of sin and the inevitability of eternal death have been swallowed up by our victorious one, Jesus Christ, the one who is risen from the dead. The staff of Aaron swallowing up the serpents was not only foreshadowing to the plagues or the sea swallowing up the Egyptians, but to Jesus being nailed to Aaron's staff swallowing up death in the process. The serpent church has been defeated. The resurrection of Jesus is our hope and our salvation and our assurance that that is true. The resurrection of Jesus is the obvious revelation of God's power and love in our world. And so what are we to do? Well, Pharaoh saw the power and revelation of God And he hardened his heart. And he was swallowed up in the sea. The Israelites saw the power of God in his revelation in the wilderness. And still they crafted for themselves their own gods, hardening their hearts. And that whole generation died in the wilderness without entering the rest of the promised land. And so today, for those of you... In this theater, you have heard, and I hope you have tasted and felt and seen the love and power of God revealed most notably in his risen Son. And so if you are hearing the good news of the resurrection of Jesus, I implore you like the author of Hebrews, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Turn to God who is patient and loving Turn to Christ who has made a way for you to experience right life because he has swallowed up death altogether. For those of you in the room who are Christians, don't be like the Israelites who had experienced the salvation of God and then gave credit and worship to something else. Because I can assure you it is only God who has saved you. No parent or professor No scientist or scholar, no jurist or journalist, no beast or burden or book, no cultural value or political progress, no system or structure, no relationship or reason or rationale, no staff, no serpent has saved you from sin and death. None of these are responsible for the outpouring of grace that you have experienced in our loving God. None of these can be your hope in life and certainly not in death. None of these can promise you fortune or security or rest. None, church, save for Christ our Lord, are able to heal us of our sinfulness, our selfishness, and the death that they bring. None, save for Christ our Lord, have provided a way for God to look upon us with complete pleasure and fullness of joy. None, save for Christ our Lord, are able to spread the seas that we might walk through on dry ground or swallow up all the power of death in the throne room of the evil one. None, save for Christ our Lord, are establishing a kingdom that is marked by love and peace and everlasting life. So put not your hope in princes or presidents. Put not your hope in policies. Give not your ultimate thanks to your own efforts or the generosity of others. Let no identity or agenda define you. But let us all give our praise to Christ who allows us to scoff at the grave because it no longer has victory. Let us all put our hope in Christ, who has saved us to the uttermost. Let us put our hope in Christ, who is worthy of our praise. And let us, church, today soften and never harden our hearts as we have seen his mighty works, as we have experienced his outstretched arm, his power, his beauty, his blessing, and his salvation. And through that, may we have unity as his people in faith and obedience and service to the one worthy of all the praises we can ever muster to sing. Let's pray. Father, you and your Son and your Spirit are worthy of our worship, of our lives, that we ought to come before you and lay down all the other things that we hold on to, all the other things that we find hope in, all the other things that we desire and give our affection fully to you. I pray this morning that your spirit would soften our hearts, that we might always look upon your Son with love and with reverence and with thankfulness. And that your glory might be revealed through us as a people who proclaim it, as a people who have seen it and have been changed by it. I pray, Lord, that none of our hearts would be hardened at your goodness and at your grace. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.